0: You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson. Because democracy doesn't just happen.
1: And welcome back to 101.9 High FM. i chatting today about the role of the media and traditional media versus social media or WhatsApp or other communication platforms in civil society, cohesiveness and getting the news out there. And... On, on the line with us today, we have Kieran Ryan. Hi, Kieran. Great Hello, to have Ron, how are you on the show. All right, in yourself. Always good to have you on the show, Kieran, once again. Tell us a bit more about what you've been doing over the past couple of weeks. I know you've been delving deep into various uh, subject matter around government legislation and, and, and so on. And I hope you've been listening to our show or this show as as we've been uh, sort of challenging the media on on what is going on and how to get uh, accurate and factual news reporting out in, into the public.
0: Yeah, well, what I've been working on, I mean, a diverse range of things, but one of the things that really caught my eye over the last few weeks is this report that came out from the Zondo Commission, which was then picked up by the DA, about counter deployment within the ANC so it turns out something that people had suspected for a long time was actually real had been denied you know you were considered fake news if you if you even suggested it but there, there was a counter deployment committee within the ANC where they, they were basically earmarked positions that were coming up for a rotation, or somebody had retired, and they would want to put on, put in one of their own, one of the party loyalists into those positions. Um, this is very organised, very systematic. It was almost running like a shadow employment agency. What is disturbing about that is that there's so many, <clears throat> excuse me, so many people, you know, who are competent in the public sector. You now, you now sort of have to look at them maybe with a little question mark over them. You know, did they get that appointment fairly? Or, you know, was somebody else nudged out the way? I think what the DA is doing now is, is trying to bring some of these cases before the labor court and just see if a lot of these appointments should not be set aside because it, it really is the part of the state capture project if you look at it uh, that deeply. So that's, that's one of the things I've been looking at. Um, the other thing is the cyber crimes bill. Which uh, partially came into effect in December, and it, it it sounds innocent enough. You know, we all want to do away with. Crime. <laughs> this is so you, you've got to read these bills because they are written in such turgid and abstruse ways that you can never quite understand what what are these guys getting at. But you you've got to be suspicious. Uh, you know, you talked about you know legacy media um, and and the fact that you you've been having a, a good look at them, and and so you should. Because sometimes subjects are, you know, censorship can operate in a number of different ways. It can be not so much that you're silencing voices that should be heard, but you're just ignoring subjects that should be voiced. And I think mm-hmm. when I look at the, the reporting that's going on around the cyber crimes bill, um, yeah, it's, it's just pretty factual stuff. And, you know, here's this bill. And what it aims to do is to, uh, and, and it, by the way, it originates out of the July riots that we had last year. Now, just a bit of background on that. A lot of the the rioters were using WhatsApp and they were using Facebook as means of organizing. And that, of course, is inevitable. Any channel of communication, you know, people of bad intent, people of good intent, they're, they're going to form groups and they're going to exchange communication around that. But this seems to have been the spark the genesis that promoted this uh, this particular bill so what they want to do is any form of electronic communication where you're either threatening or inciting violence or damage to property you're going to be guilty of an offense and, the, and there are very serious penalties for that you know five years in jail um huge fines all that kind of thing the problem comes down to what is incitement? And I kind of had a look at it. Then I went to the definition of the bill. There there is no definition of incitement in this. So then you've got to go to the English dictionary and the English dictionary definition of incitement is, here's what the Oxford dictionary says, the the action of provoking unlawful behavior or urging someone to behave unlawfully. Okay. (laughs) Now you're going to run into problems because, uh, you know, what is, when I say to you, you know, uh, Rob, you shouldn't put up with this bullying. You should do something to strike back against these
1: bullies. Uh, you're inciting uh, violence, Garrett. Uh, yeah. Am I
0: inciting violence or, you know, is that, um, you know, just telling you to, to stand up for yourself, you know, verbally? You can imagine the kind of arguments. Lawyers love this because, uh, you know, they'll argue backwards and forwards. You know, both will present their arguments, but you can never leave it in the in the hands of the courts. and. My viewpoint on these things is you always have to assume that there will be some government satrapy or bureaucrats who will test these laws to the limit. And as ridiculous as it may sound today, what happens when a government comes to power that doesn't have your sense of humor and takes these social media messages of yours literally? So, you, you know, the, the context is taken away and all you've got is a raw social media thing and you're standing up there in the dock and you're trying to defend yourself for saying, you know, you should strike back against these bullies.
1: Uh, And you can imagine uh, where that will go. Absolutely. And I I agree with that fully. It is a rather dangerous situation, especially as we kind of live in the cancel culture right now or within the cancel culture. And especially on on social media where somebody says something that offends uh, another group or individual and everyone seems to gang up against, against that individual, whether appropriate or guilty or not. And attempt to remove them, or have them deplatformed, and 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 so on. And we've seen that uh, around the world. I mean, we've there's a whole controversy now around around Joe Rogan, for for example, where they're pulling, oh, I think it's around about 40, 45 of his podcasts off off of Spotify, for for some utterances that are clearly out of context and and certainly not not warranted at all but would the state in your opinion take advantage of, of something like that to silence dissidents or political uh, opposition or, or opponents What what is the real threat here eh, to to these kind of laws
0: i I, th- I think we have to assume just look at the behavior of governments around the world over the last two years there's there, there's you know the old saying never let a good crisis go to waste and <laughs> i think there, their power grab is quite astonishing and terrifying. And if we don't have some way of monitoring them and regaining control, they are our servants. They're, mm-hmm. they're not our overlords and masters. They're, they're, let's get this relationship uh, right here. And, you know, I can see if we don't watch them very, very closely and, and hold them to account, that we will become slaves in a, in a, in a slave society. And they can just order us around. There's a famous uh, movie, um, a Woody Allen movie, what it was it called? Um, uh, I, I can't forget the name, but there's a, a real hilarious line in there where he's, he's talking about these bureaucrats who have the power to do anything. And one of them is, you know, from tomorrow, you're going to wear your underpants uh, on the outside of your jeans. <laughs> 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 you know, the ridiculousness of things. And I often see that with the masks because there's a lot of, um, a lot of evidence coming out now that these masks are completely ineffective. Mm -hmm. um and yet we have this ritualistic uh, kind of behavior we're going around wearing these things i I don't mean to offend anybody because i know this is an extremely emotive thing and and by the way it it just sort of ties into something i I have observed going on and it, it really you know you think about the the virus originating out of china um and you look at china as a society and where they've gone with their social credit scoring system go back to the the days of the the cultural revolution under Mao Zedong where you know he was very effective at destroying opposition and he did even families you know that he got the, the children to start snitching on the parents and siblings to start snitching on each other because they you know lacked purity of thought or they weren't a hundred percent behind the revolution or something some perceived transgression against the the revolution and the, the revolution was the thing. The revolution uh, wasn't the government. It was the revolution. It was the idea of change, of positive change. Of course, it was completely fake and it has been overturned uh, subsequent to that. But you see what's going on now with this whole COVID thing there, the vaccine and the vaxxed and the unvaxxed and how they're turning families against each other and how they're promoting this, this, this incredible hatred and uh, dissension, this line being driven down you know, between groups of people. And it really does remind me of the the Chinese Cultural Revolution. And and I wanted to just touch on this thing about the the, the legacy media and the social security scoring, because I I looked at this some time ago and and I went and did a little bit of research before coming on today. And and for people who don't know, the the Chinese social uh, credit score system basically originated out of the the banking system, which is fair enough. You know, you want to, before a bank lends money, you want to know if you're lending it to safe hands or not and whether you're going to get repaid. But that then jumped the rails and that information was clearly shared with, with government. And um, so you have this bridge over from the private sector, sharing information with the public sector. And so now these days you will see people are getting uh, blacklisted, so it's a kind of a, a, a means of um, blacklisting dissent and, and pulling up the socially undesirable people, profiling them, and removing certain privileges from them. Um, and I looked at the stats here. By June 2019, 27 million air tickets and 6 million high-speed rail tickets were denied Chinese citizens who had low social credit scores. Uh, blacklisted people have some of their personal data posted online. That everybody can see that. And people with good scores, they get privileges, so you get less waiting time at hospitals, at government offices, you also get discounts in certain stores and so on. So the private sector has been completely co-opted into this thing. And it's creating this um, socially acceptable group of people and the unsocially, or the socially undesirable and giving them privileges and penalties based on that. So I think this is a very, very worrying thing and I see this happening with the Vax uh, issue as well.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, we have seen it um, actually being mentioned all over the world in in certain legislation, and there is no doubt that we are headed towards a Chinese-style uh, social credit system here in South Africa, but also elsewhere around around the world, which is quite a quite a dangerous situation, in in my opinion. I mean, where where do you draw that line in in the sand? Where 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 is the point where we identify a government intervention or assistance as government overreach that's a, I oh know it's a, it's a bit of a rhetorical question there but the the issue still stands is that why do we tolerate it why does government need to exercise such power and control over, over, over its people it really doesn't doesn't make any any sense in in my book at all but you know bringing it back to back to the the cyber crimes cybercrimes Act, there, there's no doubt that government will will abuse this and how they will abuse it well, that still remains to to be seen. But uh, given, given your, your experience and, uh, and research into into China's system, do you think South Africa will actually go into that? I mean I suspect it will, but of course it's just a hunch. What are the factors that, that make you think that it, South Africa will, will go there, if you do think so?
0: Well, if you, I, I mean, I, th- I think we're pretty old hands of this kind of thing, Rob. So you've seen it and I've seen it where uh, government will float some really absurd piece of legislation, which is a complete overreach. They will gauge the public reaction and they will go back. They're in this for the long game. And, and this is, you know, the whole deep state phenomenon, because, you know, Cyril Ramaphosa might not be around in three years, but somebody else will take over from him. Um, but there there is an element of governance in, in the administration that, that is perpetual. And their whole modus operandi, the, the, the whole reason of their existence is to gain more and more power. They, they just that, that's what they, that's the currency that they're trafficking. So I do see that. um I, I see some minor defeats for this um, and hopefully dear South Africa is, you know, collecting comments from this thing and let, let's see what people are saying, but I think they have to be informed about what this this is really about and, and the looseness of this wording, well, what is incitement? You know, originally when WhatsApp and Telegram and these social media channels, Facebook as well, you thought you were private, you know, you thought you were able to communicate with your friends and your family in, in a private way. Now you realize, <clears throat> and it has happened that court, court cases have happened where your your Facebook posts have been presented as evidence. Then you start to wonder how secure uh, and encrypted are these social media channels. So telegram a lot of people when WhatsApp within the last year or so, They started introducing new rules of engagement for their users. And and it became clear that they're actually collecting a fair amount of metadata about you and includes personal information such as your location, your phone number, your device ID. And unless you opt out of this, that type of information is automatically shared with Facebook, which is the owner of WhatsApp. Now, Telegram made it clear in its private policy that it collects less data than WhatsApp, it does store information like your ip address and your devices and the history of any username changes and it does that for a period of 12 months and then it deletes it so people were leaving whatsapp because of primarily its association with facebook and the fact that it collects more data than telegram but i think this this is something now when you when you have a a cyber crime a cyber crimes bill you're gonna have problems where you you might get subpoenaed or facebook or telegram or whatsapp might get subpoenaed to present your social media exchanges with other people and and then you're going to have lawyers poring over that and deciding whether you know you said you know poke him in the eye uh, you know which could have been a completely metaphorical poke that you intended but that could <laughs> st- stand up in court as an insight, you know a, an act of violence or an incitement to violence mm. and um and of course, all of this is, you know, I mean, China's like the, the, the world's biggest laboratory for this kind of thing. All of these these grand social experiments are happening in China. And, you know, I just wonder how far it can go. Give, give you an example of this. You want to get a sense where this digital war is going. Uh, and any technology contains with it, you know, the power for good or for bad. But crypto is banned in China. Now, why was it banned in China? Because the Chinese government can't stand competition. It wants to issue its own central bank digital currency, CBDC, which is really a a digital version of the one, you know, it's like having a digital version of the RAND, removing cash, because cash is really the, the, if you like, the underground, the informal economy where you you can't really be supervised. They they just want to monitor everything. They want everybody's, you know, everything that you buy. It will also act like a tracking device. Oh, you were in that shop on that day at that time good
1: this, Kieran, this all sounds super, super. Oh, I don't know, fantastical and conspiracy theory. But what is the end game here? Why? Why would they do it? I mean, let, let's think about the tracking, for example. If I've got my phone on me, and most people have their phone on them twenty-four-seven, you can be tracked through through your phone. So, what is what is the real the real threat there? What what is the intention? Or oh, the supposed intention
0: you know there, there is a school of thought that we're heading into this kind of transhumanist world where elon musk is already talking about you know inserting chips into brains you know <laughs> <laughs> uh uploading your um your thoughts and your memories onto a chip and then you die and then you kind of get some some second shot of it you know <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't know. Uh, somebody else can download all that information, that kind of thing. But you know, the internet, in in a sense, is one great big mind. Uh, what is a mind? You know, a storage system for knowledge. And um, then the more that you get computers talking to each other, the more they share information. Again, it has elements which are extremely useful. Um, but you, you get these crazy mad scientists who who play God and uh, or try to play God. And a lot of people, this, I'm not saying that I necessarily see it going that way. I, I just think that there's, um, there's certainly a push in that direction. You know, the people who are involved in this transhumanist movement, and by the way, a lot of these these oligarchs, these billionaires, are absolutely obsessed with longevity. Yes. They're trying to live as long as they possibly can. If you do a little bit of research on that, you'll see what, um, what, where they're spending their money. You know, they want to live to be 150. Which, um, you know, in biblical terms, is, is not is not a lot. Uh, I think Moses lived to the 800 years. Uh, okay. So w- where's this going in, in in our lifetimes? I just think there, there's there's a kind of mindlessness about this. Um, there's something that's moving. We've got to monitor, track it, and possibly stop it. That's just the impulse of any bureaucrat. That, that's where I think this is going. I just cannot stand, you know, the idea that people making independent, free choices about their okay.
1: I think that's exactly what it is it's the independent and free choices let's take a quick break break and we'll be right back
0: you are listening to dear parliament with rob hutchinson because democracy doesn't just happen
1: and welcome back to 101.9 High fm and as the intro just said democracy doesn't just happen it definitely requires work but sometimes democracy and Democrats can be manipulated, or people who participate in democracy can be manipulated. The the failures of democracy are pretty evident when you realize how easily manipulated we are uh, through media and especially on social media. Perhaps that's, that is the reason, Kieran, we were chatting about... Um, how, why and the reasons why uh, someone introduced these social credit systems, such as China has, and one one of my thoughts is perhaps that it's definitely to control control the population, control, control the masses, but more more so as a as social engineering uh, incentive to alter human behavior and therefore act in a favorable manner to further the objectives. Of, of the state, which is a terrifying thought. Kieran, do you, do you think this is perhaps the, does free will exist? Maybe let me simplify that question down to that. <laughs> does,
0: does free will
1: exist? Um... <laughs> your, I know it's a difficult and philosophical question, but you know, given, given the manipulation that we see now, here, are, are any of our thoughts and decisions really our own?
0: Yeah, it, it, it's a hell of a, it, it's a deep philosophical question. Um, you know that that has been attempted by many philosophers. You know, Schopenhauer, for example, was extremely negative and uh, apathetic about the human condition. And um, Friedrich Nietzsche, all, all of the German, the German philosophers, by the way, Nietzsche was in awe of the Greek gods. Um, he wrote a book called uh, The Antichrist, which. Um, Short book. He never had the courage to publish it during his lifetime. It was his um, his sister published it after he died. But he he was mesmerised by the you know the, the concept of the Greek gods, and um, he he really had this idea that you had to sort of rise above the groupthink, and only in doing that could you be free. Would you have free will? So the whole idea of, of Superman, you know, um, this this sort of super being. Al Ron Hubbard the who wrote Dianetics and the founder of Scientology, he had this idea that you have these these moments of pain and unconsciousness which basically, you're hypnotized, you're hypnotized by these things. So you might have, during a moment of unconsciousness, somebody saying um, you're stupid and you actually go ahead and you dramatize being stupid thereafter. So, to what extent would you have free will in a circumstance like that? It's It's very debatable. And I think what you're seeing in, in, in the social media space is some very, very nefarious, but quite fascinating experiments going on, where, you know, the whole thing about Cambridge Analytica is a good case in point, where they were really trying to influence outcomes. And this is something that I've been paying attention to now for a few years, is how social media has created divisiveness and we spoke about this the last time I, I was talking to you. Uh, all of a sudden, you're starting to get people holding very strong positions that they defend because they're kind of fed. You know, Facebook, eventually the algorithms learn, ah, you're, you're a conservative. Uh, you are therefore pro-family. Therefore, you are more likely to vote Donald Trump or, or, or something like that. They will then start feeding you messages. Or if you're a liberal. Uh, they, they will start feeding you messages on the other side of the debate, which will create th- this, this kind of anger, and they stimulate anger. Now, anger is a call to action. So, if if you if you feed me stuff here about some ridiculous guy who uh, you know walked away with uh, with a whole lot of money because he sued the state for, uh, you know, he, he 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 tripped on a step and he, you know he got millions, kind of thing. You know, you always get these things published in the Daily Mail and various other newspapers like this, and, and they do kind of stimulate an anger, and that anger and that call to action will, will drive you to hold very, very firm and strong positions on certain subjects. And I'm, I believe Facebook has been doing this deliberately. I believe their algorithms are calculated to, and it's, by the way, all driven by revenue because what they're trying to do, that call to action is buy, watch this ad, join this group. There's there's always something, there's always something there that they're trying to sell you.
1: Exactly. Or vote, vote for this person. That's as yeah. one of their, their, their main objectives. As well, and uh, Twitter is no different, and Google's no different. I mean, they can manipulate your search results on Google and feed you information that they really believe that you you are looking for, whether it's the right information or not. And the problem, the real problem behind all of that, is that most people are completely unaware that this actually happens. Completely unaware to the fact that their uh, news feed and uh, search results are manipulated and tailored towards what is um, their, to, or, to, or actually to influence their, their opinions. That's a dangerous, dangerous world that we, we're currently living in now. I, I kind of look back at, or look at the whole world and go, is anything real out there? Is absolutely anything real? If you don't see it with your own eyes, how do you know for sure it's real? I suppose that's why we rely on on strong journalists such as such as yourself who you don't use social media as as a source of information, but rather dig down, find the facts right exactly from from that source.
0: I think we're we're all you know, we're all kind of explorers and adventurers in this world and we're we're trying to find truth wherever we go. It, 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 brings to mind one of the developments that's happened in the last few years in journalism um, and and that that search for truth is the fact checker this this concept and there are there are firms that have been set up they're usually uh people by trained journalists who understand you know research and all that kind of thing i worry about them I, i worry about these fact checkers because of what we have seen uh, in, in the last few years where, where fact-checkers themselves have been debunked and you can see the problem I would never put myself out there as a fact checker I'm, I'm going to tell you whether your story is true or not that is the most dangerous arrogant conceited thing you could possibly imagine because what are my sources of information in doing that um, if I okay the best example of that is is COVID. For example, do the vaccines work? You go to Pfizer, you go to the government sources, they will tell you it works. But there are studies now coming out that um, one very recently, for example, coming out of the United States Department of Defense among soldiers. Now that's a very good control group to study. It's large. Um, these are people who are presumably fairly healthy, and uh, it, it's a it's a very good control group. So. We're now starting to find out that there's been since the, the vaccine policies have been implemented that there's been a large increase in all sorts of diseases amongst women for example ovarian problems of various kinds amongst men cancers of various kinds massive increases in these things and, and dr robert malone who by the way malone he, he uh, deserves a mention on his own because you've you've got fact checkers we don't even know if these people you know finished high school but here's the guy who invented the mRNA vaccine who's been fact-checked by somebody who has got no background in science, these these fact-checking companies. And that's why I say that this is extremely dangerous. It, 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 it's a chaotic world, but I think it's one in which you have to find your own way and not have that intermediated by somebody who pretends to know a little bit more than you.
1: Exactly, exactly. We're chatting with, with Kieran Ryan and we'll be right back after the break.
0: You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson, because democracy doesn't just happen.
1: Hey, welcome back to 101.9 FM. I'm chatting today with Kieran Ryan, a superstar-acclaimed journalist, independent journalist. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, <laughs> uh, it's, it's the way I feel. Well done, Kieran, and it's been a been a lovely chat as as usual with you about some pretty controversial issues. Which I, I'm glad and happy that that you are not afraid to 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 raise and put out in in the public space at all. What can we expect from you coming up? Any any exciting articles or great reveals?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I always have them. I, I do a fair amount of investigative stuff, so I would look at um, corporate scandals of, of one kind or another. I have a few of those on the go, and I keep uh, one eye on local government. I, I like to sometimes go out into small towns South Africa and just see how they're functioning. And uh, I must say, it's pretty depressing. Because the governance structures there and the, and the state capture project has been so endemic and has gone so deep into these small towns and rural areas that I, I do see a rebellion happening. And uh, it, it, the rebellion already started in the last local government elections where you had the ANC being booted out um, of places which were just running to the ground. And you've now got a new crop of people coming in who who are concerned about the state of governance and are trying to turn it around. Um, and I, I think the next few years are, are going to be, I think we're at a watershed moment in South Africa. you know, this we may be entering the era, era of coalition politics where the ANC lo- loses its outright majority. So they're going to have to either the opposition form coherent coalitions or the ANC manages to grab few more seats but i, I think the, the the outright majority days are over and the question then is you know what does this mean for south africa because there is no significant policy change in terms of economic growth that's going to turn us around and create uh, the, the 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 job growth that we need with unemployment like we have uh, at you know amongst the youth of more than 50 percent that's that's the the great crisis of south africa and it, it's, it's a figure and it's trite to say it. But if we don't solve that, then there's, you know, revolution can never be far behind. When I say revolution, governments have become quite skilled at fending off revolutions and subverting them and various things. I think the Canadian truckers uh, are, might get to experience that. But, you know, there they are. They're, they're kind of stuck there. And they've got the public behind them, it seems. Um, the, uh, you know, just interesting. When people stand up and with the canadian truckers their their support grew 15 percent in two weeks to a majority of canadians Wow. and this is a country that has you know and so it's not really an anti-vax thing Um, it's it's more freedoms people are saying you know what are these guys doing what the hell is going on in our country that they can take away our freedoms and we just lie down and accept it and i think this this is a key watershed moment not just for canada but for countries around the world
1: it definitely is Karen it definitely is and I think it's it, we've seen that that kind of resistance and I, I, I'm going to call it a resistance to tyranny happening all all around the world where where people are not questioning these these draconian laws and and definitely on on government overreach. And I wish we could talk about that more, but unfortunately, we've we've run out of time. One one once again, um, let's definitely catch up a, a, again with it with another chat, perhaps about uh, the local government's um, budgets that are that are coming up, um, starting from from next month, and how people can actually have their say and influence their tariff increases on on that. But thanks, Kieran. Thanks for joining me on on this show and and giving our listeners a, a great earful there.
0: Thank you, Rob. Always a pleasure.